But hey, with that said, I'd absolutely love it if you would turn on your Bibles or open your Bibles uh, to Matthew chapter 5. And as you're uh, doing that, I'm going to pray for us and we're going to dive right into the the word this morning. Uh, Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus. And God, we thank you for all the truths that we just sang about in that song, that you are relentless in your love for us, that you moved heaven and earth so that we might know you, so that we could see you and understand you, so that we might uh, come to know you as who you are, the living God, that we would uh, confess our sin to you, our need for you, that we could be saved by you. God, I thank you that uh, even, uh, even now in our lives, when we run from you, you chase us. God, I thank you there, that you're that kind of God, that you love us, that you woo us, that you call us. And I thank you, God, that you don't call us to a, a list of rules, but you call us to a relationship, that you call us to be sons and daughters. And so, God, as we gather uh, this morning to hear from you, I pray that we would come to you as sons and daughters, that we just want to hear what's on our Father's heart, what you desire for us, what you command us because it's good for us. And God, I pray that you would give us eyes to see you, ears to hear you, and hearts to love you this morning, that we wouldn't just hear your word, but we would also be doers of your word. And so, Jesus, we need your help with that this morning, and we pray for the power of your Holy Spirit in this place, Jesus. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Well, hey, a couple of weeks ago, I saw a story, uh, and I saved it because I, I love a good story. In fact, uh, I love a, a story that's like one of those, it's too good to be true stories, and this is one of those uh, too good to be true stories. Now, now here's the thing. Uh, I can only tell you what I read in the story. I can't verify uh, that everything's true, but it was in enough news outlets that we'll, we'll say it's true enough. At least it's not fake news, okay? So, so here's, here's how the story goes is there's a family, and in this family, they have a weird uncle, which we all kind of have that story. Like, there's usually a weird uncle somewhere in the family, and so this family has this weird uncle, and uh, he, he was very wealthy, uh, but he was very reclusive. He was very eccentric, which is just a, a word for weird, and, and he passed away. And when he passed away, he had a lawyer uh, that was, was distributing the things that he had left behind in his will. And to one side of his family, to his niece and his nephews, uh, he left a garage, which is kind of a weird thing. I mean, if you imagine like going to a lawyer's office and saying, hey, your uncle has left you an inheritance, and you're like, what did he leave us? And he's like, a garage. Now, for some of you, you're thinking like, oh, that's nice. He left them a business, like a place where people take their cars to get worked on. It's not that kind of garage. It's literally a building with junk in it, like that kind of garage. And so they didn't really know what to make out of it, but they, they said, okay, I mean, we'll, we'll take the garage. And so uh, they signed for the garage. It was turned over to them, and all the contents in the garage became legally theirs. And so as they began to explore the garage, they discovered uh, this dusty old car in the garage, which they knew absolutely nothing about. And so they began to research it. We have a picture for you. We'll show you the picture of the car. Uh, what they discovered is the car is actually a 1937 Bugatti worth $8.5 million. Only 17 of the cars were made, and their uncle owned one. And so they decided what any of us would decide to do with the car, sell it. Like, that's what the car's for, selling it. And so they sold the car, and what they said is that the car was going to be uh, the biggest 
auction ever, that in the history of the world, this would be the highest uh, paid for car that was ever auctioned off, $8.5 million. Now, I had a few thoughts uh, reading that story. Uh, the first one is this. If any of you have a car worth millions of dollars that you don't know who to leave it to, I'll be the guy, okay? You can just put my name on the will, and I'll love you for that. We'll get a lot of ministry done if any of you own Bugattis that you'd like to leave to us. Uh, The second one is this. My second thought was, this stuff never happens to me. Like, I don't have a story like this. Like, I remember when Audrey and I moved to South Dakota, we had just bought a new house. We were pretty early on in our marriage, and we had just bought this house. And then in the newspaper, somebody not far from where we were living was renovating their home. And in the attic, they found hundreds of thousands of dollars in suitcases. And because they had bought the house, the money legally became theirs. I went up into our attic, and there was not any money. Like, there was junk but there was no money. So like this stuff never happens to me. And then as I thought about it uh, more and more, I thought, you know, that's, that's really the beauty of the gospel, isn't it? That, that we, we have nothing of value. And yet Jesus comes to us dies on the cross in our place for our sin, rises again on the third day, victorious over Satan, over sin, over death, and he invites us to him so that uh, we can be forgiven, so that we can be made new, so that we can receive the renewing power of the Holy Spirit, so that we can become fully loved, fully adopted sons and daughters of God who were promised an eternal inheritance. So the gospel is that Jesus takes all of our brokenness and all of our sinfulness, and then he gives us himself. This is what theologians call the great exchange, that when we repent of our sin and when we respond to Jesus, there's this transfer where where Jesus literally takes all of our sin, all of our brokenness, everything that separates us from from God, everything that, that makes us guilty to pay the penalty of the wrath of God, he takes all of that and he replaces it with his righteousness. So that when God looks at us, he doesn't see the things we've done. He doesn't see our brokenness. He doesn't even see our sinfulness. What he sees is the righteousness and the holiness and the goodness of Jesus. Now, now, on most Sundays, I don't talk to you about big theological words, but we're going to have to talk about a couple this week if we really want to learn what Jesus is talking about. And see, what that's really called is imputed righteousness. If you, wanna, if you really want to impress your, your Christian friends this week and be like, yeah, church on Sunday, uh, we talked about the imputed righteousness that we received from Christ. What did you talk about? But see, the, the reason that's important is because that's a gift, That's what we were just singing about. We don't earn it. We don't deserve it. We don't work for it. It is the gift of God in our lives that we receive the righteousness of Jesus. The scriptures literally tell us that on the cross, Jesus took all your sins. Even though you weren't born yet, this metaphysical, spiritual thing happened, that Jesus literally took all your sin. And when God the Father looked on Jesus the Son on the cross, he saw all the sins you have committed and all the sins you will commit. And Jesus was punished in our place for our sin, absorbing the penalty and the wrath of God in our place. Isn't that beautiful? It's even more beautiful than getting a garage with an $8 million car in it. 
that Jesus would take all our brokenness. He would take all our sinfulness. He would take everything that causes us to be guilty of the wrath of God. And not only does he take it away, he replaces it with his righteousness. Now, this is why this is important before we get into what Jesus is going to say today. Because the message of Christianity is not work harder, do more, and be better. That's religious. That's never what Jesus said. Because we can't earn the righteousness of Christ. It's already been given to us. So the message of Christianity is not do more, try harder, be better. The message of Christianity is Jesus loves you so much and he came to earth so that we might be saved by Jesus, so that we might be made new, so that we might be set free in Christ and Christ alone by grace through faith. And that when you are saved, you receive the righteousness of Jesus. So listen, discipleship, this idea of growing spiritually, is really that Jesus has already forgiven us. He's already saved us. He's already given us his Holy Spirit. And what Jesus invites you to do and what he invites me to do is to become more of who he's already made us to be. That we just try to close the gap between where we are and the name he's already put on us. And the big word that Jesus uses all throughout the Sermon on the Mount, which we're studying today, is these words like blessed. And blessed really means happy of soul. So when Jesus says blessed be and blessed are, what he's talking about is a life characterized by the favor of God, resulting in the goodness and distinctiveness of God. So when Jesus says, hey, I want you to be blessed, he's saying, hey, uh, if you've been saved, if you have a relationship, if you want to experience the power of the kingdom, that's where you experience blessedness. So this isn't about religion. This is about having a relationship with Jesus in which you experience his goodness and his blessing in your life. Now, Jesus is going to use words all throughout the Sermon on the Mount like righteousness. But when Jesus uses this word righteousness, he's really talking about living up to God's standard because of God's transforming power. So what he's saying is the only way you can be righteous is because I've made you righteous. The only way you can accomplish righteousness is because... I've made you righteous. And then Jesus is going to use words like the kingdom of God, which is all about the rule and the reign of God through God's people. The reason that's important is because some of the teachings that Jesus has, he's going, listen, you're not going to find this anywhere else in the world. This only exists in the people and in the kingdom of God. And so if you're here this morning or if you're listening online, you go, I don't even believe in Jesus, then you're off the hook. Although I think this is all good for you, but this is Jesus going, hey, for people who love me, for people who have been saved by me, for those of you who are in the kingdom of God, these are imperative and important for you. And today what we're talking about is something that we would call practical righteousness. It's this idea that we would live up to and become more of what Jesus has already made us to be. It's that he's already saved us. He's already forgiven us. He's already given him, uh, he's already given us his righteousness. So practical righteousness is I want to be transformed into his image and his likeness. I want my character to continually become more like the character of Christ. And this is why this is really important. It's because I'm just convinced that God wants more for us than, than we want more for ourselves. That God wants better for us than we even want for ourselves. 
And so Jesus is hitting us with some hard teachings, and he's not inviting us to religiousness. He's not inviting us to try harder and be better. But what he's saying is, listen, I've already accomplished this in you, and because I want your life to be blessed, I want you to consider these things. I want you to value the things that we value. So Jesus isn't saying, hey, clean yourself up, try harder, be better, and do good. What Jesus is saying is, I am the king, and I am your savior. The kingdom is at hand, and in me and through me by the power of the Holy Spirit, these things can be accomplished, and you can experience blessing in your lives. And so what Jesus is is commanding us to do, what he's inviting us to do, is to become more of what he's already created us to be. He's inviting us to walk in the identity that he's already given us. And so as Jesus is preaching his his longest sermon, his most recognized sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, we get to Matthew chapter 5, verse 33, and Jesus begins to say this. He says, Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not uh, swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is, is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black, which wouldn't that be awesome if you could just change your hair color? But Jesus says you can't, so don't try, just by your mind. He says, but let what you say simply be yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. Now, what's important is Jesus is saying, hey, I want to talk to you guys about uh, some stuff you've heard. And most of these things, when when Jesus says, hey, you've heard it said, but I say to you, he's referencing all the way back to, to the Ten Commandments. And so Jesus is not abolishing the Ten Commandments. He's fulfilling them. But when Jesus is addressing these things, what he's really addressing is people's interpretations or the religious customs that have been added onto the original will and word of God. See, if you, if you go through the Ten Commandments, commandment number nine is this. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. If we wanted to put that in really simple terms for us today, it would be, you should always tell the truth and tell the truth about your neighbor. So don't lie. Don't give false testimony. Don't say something happened that, that didn't happen. If you say uh, you're going to enter into agreement, enter in the agreement and hold up your end of the deal. And you might ask the question, like, why, why would this be in the Ten Commandments? And it's simple. Because we lie. Because we have sinful hearts and lying comes easy to us. And in fact, if you were here this morning, you go, I never lie. Well, that's a lie. We exaggerate. Like, no one's ever told a fishing story where they caught a small fish. Like by the time we catch a minnow, it's a 10-pounder, but we were nice and we released it. So we exaggerate stuff. I exaggerate stuff all the time. Like I tell stories and my wife's like, no, that is not at all what happened. So if you want the truth, you just look at her when I'm telling a story. So like, I'm like, who were you married to when that happened? And you know what? I don't have to work at it. It just happens. It can just exaggerate. We bend the truth for our favor well, you know, it was kind of like, and I think, like, we, we, we try to bend the truth. We lie to impress people. 
Like later this week, I'm going to be at a, a conference filled with church planters and a group of pastors that I really love and respect. We're, we're all going together. And here's what will happen. There'll be pastors from all over the country lying because somebody will say, hey, tell me about your church. And then eventually somebody will say, well, how many people come? And they'll all lie because they want to impress you. And somebody will be like 500 and the guy will lean over and be like, 250, 250, he's not that big. Like, I mean, like, and because we lie about stuff. Because we so want to impress people, we so want people to believe in what we're doing and what, what's going on in our lives that we just tend to lie. And it's not hard because our hearts are filled with sinfulness. That we just kind of lie. And so what happened was, the religious folks took the Ten Commandments And they began to make laws upon laws upon laws to keep you from ever breaking God's original law. And what happened was, is they created a system where it became easy for people to lie without actually lying. You could kind of evade telling the truth without ever really actually lying. Now, this is so foreign to us. It's so weird that it's not part of our culture. So I was trying to figure out how to communicate this in a way that we might understand. And it led me back to a scene from the movie called The Christmas Story. We have a picture for you. And if you've never seen the movie, what happens is, is Ralphie and his friends, are, are, it's winter time, and they're by the flagpole. And these two kids are having a conversation, and one dares the other kid to put his tongue on the flagpole. Now, they're all smart enough to know that if you stick your tongue on the flagpole, it's going to stick and it's going to result in pain. Uh, So the kid with his tongue almost on the flagpole says, no, I'm not doing that. You guys are dumb. And the other kid comes back and goes, well, I dare you. And he goes, no, 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 I'm not. I'm still not going to do it. And he goes, I double dog dare you. And all the kids are like, whoa. And then he skips triple dare and just goes to, I triple dog dare you to lick the pole, which is the most serious dare a child can be given. And the whole crowd is like, if you don't do it, you're a coward, you're yellow. He triple dog dared you. Now, now here's the thing. For all of us like parents and adults in the room, we know there's no value in those words. Like, I don't even know who the dog is we're talking about. Is it my dog? Is it your dog? Is it Snoopy? Like, what kind of dog is it? But somehow, if somebody triple dog dares you, there's value described to it. There, there, is, uh, uh, there is something about the power of the triple dog dare. Now, the reason I share that with you is because this is kind of what Jesus is addressing. In Jesus' time, you could make an oath and you could make it on anything. So you and I could maybe enter a business transaction. Let's say you're going to sell me something, and I could literally say, I agree to pay you that, and I swear on my beard. And if that was good enough for you, we would shake hands, and the deal was somehow sworn upon by my beard. Now, you could do stuff like, I swear to you, based upon as, as, as sure as the day is long, You could swear on your donkey. You could swear on your brother's life. You could swear on a family member. You could swear upon the city Jerusalem. You could swear upon the earth. But the most elevated, the most weighty, the triple dog dare is that you would swear with God is your witness. 
Now, what was happening is there were literally rabbis, religious people in the time, who were saying that unless you swore upon God's name, or unless you took an oath upon your head, any oath you made without saying that was kind of like a promise with your fingers crossed. You were saying it, but you didn't mean it. You were saying it, but you weren't lying because the oath wasn't really valid. And so people would make all kinds of deals and all kinds of oaths, and they would try to get through the loophole of saying, hey, as long as I don't swear upon God's name, I can break the oath, and there's nothing you can do about it. And so what Jesus is beginning to teach, he's saying, listen, your words have power. Like, your words have meaning. Whoever made up the rhyme, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me, is an idiot. Because words have weight and they have power to them. In fact, Jesus says this about our words. He says in Luke 6.45, for out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. This is why washing a mouth out with soap doesn't work because our words come directly from our heart. And so when Jesus says, hey, you guys have an oath issue, you have a truth-telling issue, what he's really saying is, you have a heart issue. Like, you guys have, have really gotten away from what your heavenly Father originally attended for you when he gave you these commands. Now, this is where it gets really tricky, because it goes deeper than that. What Jesus is saying is, I want you to always tell the truth, and I want you to always value the truth, but he's saying more than that. He's saying, I want you to be men and women of integrity. He goes, listen, for those of you that love me, for those of you who who value me as your your king and as your savior, for those of you who are in the kingdom of God and want to experience the blessedness of God, the way that you will experience this in your life, one of the ways is through integrity. And see, integrity is not something we talk about a lot, and it's not a popular thing to talk about. But the word integrity could really be described with three other words. The first one would be wholeness. That, that one of the aspects of integrity is wholeness. It means our life is not divided into segments. It's from the word integrity that we get the word integer, which means a whole number. No decimal, no fraction. It's a whole. And see, what, what can happen is, is we can kind of treat our lives like a quilt, a quilt has a whole lot of bunch of patches, a whole lot of segments, a whole bunch of pieces that are then woven together to be one big piece. And so what happens is we have our work life, we have our family life, we have our church life, we have our social life, we have our life with that group of friends, our life with that group of friends, we have our secret life, we have our romantic life, like we have our online life, we have all, all kinds of different lives, but they're all different. And we segment them. What Jesus is saying, that's not integrity. Integrity is you are who you are in all areas and aspects of your life. So it's wholeness. It also can be described with the word authenticity. That you are who you are and you don't change who you are determined by who you're with. Back in, in, in Jesus' day when, when Rome was occupying Jerusalem, uh, they would put on plays. 
And what would happen was is they couldn't get enough actors or actresses to be in the play. So what they would have is actors and actresses who played many roles in a play. And when somebody played more than one part in a play, they actually called that person a hypocrite. Because what they would do is they would hold up masks to have the different parts of the play. And so if you got your little bulletin, it would say hypocrite one and have somebody's name. And they're not saying, hey, this is an evil person that's a liar. What they're saying is this person in the play plays many people. We've taken the word hypocrite and said a hypocrite is somebody who pretends to be somebody that they're not. And Jesus says, I want you to live a life of wholeness. I want you to live a life of authenticity. I want you to be who you are and not change who you are depending on who's around you. I want you to be authentic. It can also be described by the word unmixed emotion. It means we do the right things for the right reasons. Now, if we're totally honest with ourselves, this is, this is a little difficult because sometimes, if we're honest, we do the right thing for the wrong reason. There's times I go, hey, I'm going to do this because, not because I know that it's right, not even because I want to do it, but because the outcome of me not doing it is worse than, you know, I'm, so I'm just going to do it. Or, hey, I, I'm going to do this because if I do it, it makes the guy or the gal I work with look bad, then maybe I'll get the promotion. Like, we can do the right things the wrong ways. And Jesus says, no, I, I want you to do the right things, and I want you to do them the right ways. So what does that look like in our lives? Like, what does it look like to be men and women who have integrity? And I think the psalmist gives us a little picture in Psalm 15, 1 to 5. The psalmist says it this way. It says, O Lord, who shall sojourn in your tent? Who shall dwell on your holy hill? The psalmist is saying is, God, who will have a relationship with you? God, who, who will be allowed to dwell with you in your holy place? Who, who will be with you? Who will experience your presence? And he begins to answer the question, he who walks blamelessly. That could also be interpreted, he who has integrity. He who walks blamelessly and does what is right and speaks truth in his heart who does not slander with his tongue and does no evil to his neighbor, nor take up reproach against his friend, in whose eyes a vile person is despised, but who honors those who fear the Lord, who swears to his own hurt and does not change, who, who does not put out his money at interest, and who does not take a bribe against the innocent, and he who does these things shall never be moved. The psalmist says, he who does these things does them eternally, that these things are valued by God, not just in this life, but also in heaven. Now, some of the language there is a little difficult, but the psalmist lists nine things. He goes, this is kind of what integrity looks like in the life of a person. It means, uh, number one, that you speak the truth from your heart, that you would do the right things, that you would refuse to slander even people you don't like with your tongue that you would do no evil to your neighbor, that you would not gossip, that you would keep your promises, that you would tell the truth about what happens to you and other people, that you would be generous and that you would not be able to be bribed. Now, that's kind of a long list. 
And so this week I was just kind of praying and kind of thinking like, God, what does it look like for us to live with integrity? What does it look like for us to become men and women of integrity in the day and the age that we live in? And I think to get there, I think first we have to be open enough and honest enough to say, hey, we might have some areas of weakness in our lives. Like, listen, I'll just be honest with you. I can't read that whole list and go, blameless, holy, pure. Like, got that. Like, I already admitted to you that I tend to over-exaggerate stuff, and I don't even have to work at it. I actually have to work at it not to over-exaggerate. So none of us have this totally figured out. None of us are perfect. And that's the beauty of the gospel is you don't have to be perfect. But you've at least got to be honest with yourself to say, hey, I might have some areas that I'm a little bit weak, and then ask Jesus to help strengthen you in those areas. And so here's a couple areas. Here's a couple things I think we can look at in our lives that would help us to become people with integrity. And this isn't like an exhaustive list. This is kind of like, you know in your car, uh, you have what I call dummy lights. They say, hey, dummy, and they tell you stuff. So like uh, my car tells me when the oil is low, which is awesome because I can take the sticker off the windshield because it bothers me. Tells me when I need more windshield fluid or it tells me when something's going wrong with the car. So I think this is kind of a list that says, hey, 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 pay attention to this. Or this might reveal an area that we're a little bit weak or maybe needs some strengthening from the Lord. So I think here's some things to focus on our lives to become people of integrity. Number one, when you speak, say what you mean. Say what you mean. We had friends that we would joke about because every time they told you they were going to be somewhere at a certain time, they never were, ever. So you'd be like, hey, we'll be at your house at 5 o'clock, and you'd literally be like, 5.30 or 6, what do you think? And, like, we were always right. And so it got to the point where because they, they didn't say what they meant, you just knew you can't trust their word. Like, hey, we'll be there on time. No, you just said you'll be there on time. No, I know you won't be there on time. Say what you mean. Now, I'll just be as transparent with you as I know how to be. This was a struggle for me early as a pastor because I wanted people to know that I loved them and I wanted people to think I was good and, and, and I wanted people uh, to think that, that I was there for them. And so somebody would go, hey, can we do coffee this week? And I'd say, yes. Hey, could you help serve in this ministry? Yes. Hey, could you come to the church later? Yes. But then I was always the guy that said yes and then had to make a phone call. Like, hey, I, I told you we we're going to do that thing, but actually I, I have a, another commitment that day. I can't do it. Sorry. And, like, I just kind of figured out kind of quickly I'd rather tell you no first than yes and a no later. And, like, it was a struggle for me because I was, like, the yes guy. Yep, nope, yep, 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 yep. And, and I still get it wrong sometimes. I'm not saying that, that, that I'm perfect. And, listen, things come up. Things come up. Like, I told Tom this week, hey, let's go get coffee. And then I got sick, so we didn't do coffee. But when I said let's do coffee, I meant it. And so we got to be good at, like, saying what we mean. Matthew 5, 37, this is what Jesus is saying. He's saying, listen, in the church, among Christians, your yes should be your yes and your no should be your no. People should know that you mean what you say and they can trust what you say. So listen, one of the things I try to do in, in, my, in my own life is I try to under-promise and over-deliver. Under-promise, over-deliver. Hey, do you think, uh, hey, do you, think I'm from, you could come help me with piece of furniture? Here's the deal, I don't know for sure. So put me down for a no. 
But if something changes, I'll give you a call. Because now, I'm, I'm just being real. Like, I'm not sure it's going to work, and I just want you to know that I'm not sure it's going to But if it works, I'm going to be there. And then if you show up, it's awesome. If you say, yeah, yeah, I can do it, and then you're the guy that calls, like, Friday, and you're like, dude, I don't want to move that furniture. It's not going to work. You look like the bad guy. So tell the truth. Let your yes be your yes and your no be your no. Like, have you ever noticed that people be like, I'm not lying to you? And then they tell you something, you're like, does that mean that every other time you are lying to me? Like, if you have to put that in there, what does that mean? Like, oh, no, I'm telling the truth. You're like, does that mean the other time you weren't? Like, our yes should be our yes, and our no should be our no. Now, we, we might have to work on that, but here, here's one that maybe gets a little bit more difficult. Say what, say what you mean, but number two, tell the truth with your money. Tell the truth with your money. How we use our money matters to Jesus. Jesus tells us in Matthew 6, 21, where your treasure is, your heart will be. Like, I'm not perfect in in this area. But, like, when you buy stuff on credit, it's kind of dishonest. Because you're like, I'm going to pay you, but I don't know how I'm going to pay you. So I'm going to charge it to credit. And then we end up in debt. We end up debt because we bought things that we don't necessarily need with money that we don't necessarily have, and it's not honest. Like, we should pay our bills. Like, I used to hate paying the bills because I was like, I have money. And then I paid the bills, and I'm like, I have no money. And sometimes I still feel that way. But now I look at, like, I pay the bills, and I'm like, no, nobody owns me. Like, ComEd doesn't own me. NICOR doesn't own me. Like, like Comcast doesn't own me. I, I paid them. I told them that I would pay them. I paid them, and now we're good. And, like, Christians shouldn't be the people that, like, rob Peter to pay Paul. Like, we, we should tell the truth with our money. And that means, like, we also shouldn't rip off God, that we should really prayerfully consider how we use our money to honor God. That the way we use our money is part of our testimony. It reveals our heart and what we believe about God. Malachi chapter 3, verse 8, God speaks to the nation of Israel through Malachi and says, Will man rob God? That's an interesting thought. He says, Yet you're robbing me. But you say, How have we robbed you? And God says, In your tithes and your contributions. Like, listen, I've been a pastor long enough to know that anytime you talk about money, it, it, it gets a little deep and it gets a little hard and people get a little bit upset. But here's what I also know. I've been doing this long enough that people will come to me all the time. I'll say, Adam, we just want God to bless our finances. Would you, would you pray for that? And what I tell people is I will. But here's what I tell you. God usually doesn't honor the finances of people who are robbing him. Like, if you want to honor God in your finances, that's when you begin to discover the blessing of God. Number three, refuse to gossip. Refuse to gossip. So one of the things Psalm says, he says, hey, you want to know what a blameless person doesn't do? They don't gossip. Proverbs 11, verse 13 says, whoever goes about slandering reveals secrets. But he who is trustworthy in spirits uh, keeps a thing covered. That like sometimes it's just better not to say it. And here's the deal. I I struggle with this. Like I'm not a big gossiper, but if somebody's like, hey, I got something to tell you. I'm like, I want to know. I want to know. I want to know. 
Hey, when I was a kid, like when I was in high school, there was kind of this thing. Like, uh, I, I don't know if you follow this stuff, but on like uh, Facebook and stuff, there's like these social media challenges, which have progressively got worse. I guess people are eating laundry detergent now, which I just don't. I just don't understand. Like, even at my worst moment in life. If you're like, hey, bro, you want to eat a Tide Pod? I'd be like, no. I'm not the smartest tool in the shed, but that seems dumb. But apparently kids do that. But back when I was in high school, like, there was this thing where, like, people would, like, challenge you, like, to go into a store and steal something. Like, this was the thing. This was the thing. Like, hey, bro, I I bet you can't go into Walgreens and lift something. And, like, I never did it because, like, my luck would be is I would get caught. Like, that's just my life story. So, like, I was never going to do it. And I remember one time I sat down with my mom and she said, hey, I want, I want to talk to you about this stealing thing. I'm like, I haven't done it. Like, I'm too clumsy. It wouldn't work out. Like, I would drop whatever it was and I just don't want to go to prison. And I remember she told me, she said, do you know that if you were in a store with a group of friends and one of them stole something, you could be charged as an accessory to that crime. And I was like, but I, I wouldn't have done anything. Like, no, it doesn't matter. You were there. You didn't stop them. You didn't report it. Therefore, you are just as guilty as the person who stole something. So I deleted all my friends. I just said, no, I didn't do that. I'm like, no, you're done, man. I'm not hanging with you anymore. You might steal something, and I'm not going to jail. And you go, why would you say that? Because, like, sometimes we don't gossip. We just let people gossip to us, and that's just as guilty. That's an accessory to gossip. And I remember somebody told me a long time ago that if people will gossip to you, they will also gossip about you. And see, I think that's the reason that some of us struggle with being authentic is because we tend to talk about other people. And so we don't want to ever open up ourselves because we wonder, I wonder if other people talk about me the way I talk about other people. And like Jesus says it way better than me, but my interpretation of what Jesus is saying is just knock it off. Like stop gossiping about people and stop letting people gossip to you about other people. Like just shut it down. And if you wouldn't say whatever you're about to say to somebody's face, don't, don't say it at all. Because, like, we've all been in a situation where we've said something to somebody in confidence, and later we found out that person told 10 other people, and it got back to the person that we never wanted to get to, and if we just would have never said it, we could have shut the whole thing down. Refuse to gossip. Number four, do your best at work. Do your best at work. Colossians 3, verses 23 and 24 says, Whatever you do, Work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from whom the Lord you will receive the inheritance is your reward, you are serving the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul goes, hey, I want to talk to you about your workplace. You think you work for your employer, and your employer thinks you work for him, but you as a Christian really work for Jesus in everything you do. So, like, listen, if you're a garbage man, you are a garbage man for the glory of Jesus, and your work should be working as though you're working for Jesus. So whenever you do your job, it's worship. You might be a dentist, and he's going, listen, every time you drill that cavity, you do it as though you're working for the Lord. Like, no matter what your position is, you don't actually work for your employer. You work for Jesus, And this is really important because I I was in a meeting not long ago 
where one of the things they were talking about in our state and in our nation is that employers are having a really difficult time finding good employees. That, that people show up and punch the clock and don't really do their work. Uh, people will show up and just do enough to get by so they get the paycheck. So the company's paying money, but the, but the workers aren't actually doing what they're supposed to do. The, the workplace like theft is an all-time high. People going, hey, that's my stapler. I'm going to take those paper clips. And listen, we've all lifted a pen. Okay, that's a minor offense. We've all lifted a pen. Some of you have 250 Redemption Church pens at home, and God bless you, okay? In case of an apocalypse, I'll come to your house if I need a pen. But I'm talking about like just directly stealing from work. Like there's statistics out. I'm not a big basketball fan. But like March Madness, like people talk about people take off work or people rip off their employers to watch the games at work when they're not supposed to be. Now, I have an answer for this, and it's believers. Like, I think, what if we had so much integrity? What if you walked into a job interview and they're like, any other skills? You're like, yeah, I'm a Christian. They're like, hire this guy, hire this gal now. Because they will do their work. They'll do it well. They're not going to steal the stapler and I'm going to pay them, and my business is going to thrive because they don't work directly for me. They actually work for the Lord. And they take it with that kind of weightiness. They take it with that kind of responsibility. Because, listen, I've worked jobs I've hated before. I've worked jobs that I didn't like. I've gone to work before and looked at the clock going, I just can't wait to get out of here. But what Jesus is saying is don't make that a habit. Don't let that become a lifestyle. You do your job for the glory of Jesus, and you should make the best employee on the planet because of your integrity. Number five, be real with others. Be real with others. When Audrey and I were first like really exploring this calling into church planting, we got connected with a group called Converge. And Converge has districts, and so we're part of Converge Mid-America, but at the time, uh, we were living in South Dakota, and so we got, we got you know, connected. And you know, one of the things I said is, hey, one of the things we do for church planters is we send them to an assessment center where we have other church planters spend time with them. And at the end of that assessment center, we will let you know if we think you have the tools, the giftedness to plant a church. So Shane was like a month old. And we went to an assessment center. So I joke that, that Shane's like one of the youngest people who've gone through an assessment center and was, and was approved. Um, but we went, and it was like this nerve-wracking time because people would like watch you and then interview you about what they saw. And so like, like people would like share their stories. So like we, we kind of made friends with a couple. And the couple was like, yeah, we had, we had our interview, one of our interviews last night. And one of the people like said to my, my wife, like, why are you crying all the time? Like, we, ju we just noticed that, like, you're always crying. And she's like, no, I'm having a problem with my contact. Like, I think I scratched my eye, and they're like, oh. And you're like, they're looking that closely. Like, they're watching us that, like, wow. And, and I'll never forget, like, we, like it, we got to know a lot of people, and we got to the preaching portion where we had to preach a sermon in front of the entire group, other people going through the assessment, all the assessors, we were all there. And so, like, I, was, I got done doing my, my thing, and that, that went okay. And then a guy that we had met, like, got up to do his. And, and here's the thing. This guy was, like, six foot one, like, thin, just lanky guy, like, from the Midwest, really quiet. Like, I mean, he was, like, one of those guys that unless you directly spoke to him, he probably didn't say much. So you'd have to, like, end the conversation and go, and what do you think? 
and then kind of wait for whatever would come out. And I'll never forget this moment because he got up to teach a sermon and he opened his Bible and his voice changed. Like his demeanor changed. Like he got up to preach, he's like, good morning, everybody. I want to welcome you to church. And you're like, you're not from the South. What, what? And he's like, I'm here to praise Jesus. And I'm like, I don't know what just happened. But I'm both intrigued and terrified. And like, I remember like talking to him later. He's like, yeah, that, that, that portion didn't go so good. And they're like, I'm like, I wonder what happened. And he was like, they, they thought I had a preaching voice. And I was like, bro, you talk like you're from the South. Like, I thought you were going to sell me a bucket of fried chicken when you opened. And he was like, I've never noticed that about myself. And I was like, that's weird. Because you became a completely different person. Now, it's easy to, to laugh at that guy. But we can do that with people. Like, you ever notice we, ever, we always tell people everything's great even when it's not? And, like, here, here's the thing. Think about this for a minute. You've had a conversation with somebody where you said, how are you doing? And they went, I'm doing great. And you walked away and went, no, you're not. No, you're not. And yet we think we can pull that off. Like we think we can lie to people about how we're actually doing. But we can actually try to make ourselves look better than we are. I think that's the point of social media. Like we just spend a lot of time like snapping photos and putting up pictures that makes us look awesome. Like nobody puts their failures on Instagram. No one's like, well, burnt dinner tonight, snap that one. Right? Like nobody posts like pictures of their kids almost killing each other, Where, like winning at parenting. You know, like you only share the highlight reel. And yet we're supposed to be real with one another. Like the church is the one place where it should be okay not to be okay. So you're the one place where you can come in and be like, you know what, Thing, things aren't great. And I, I could use some prayer and I could use some help. And people go, hey, that, 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 that's what we're here for. So be authentic. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth to his neighbor. For we are all members of one another. Like, do you know that like when, when you lie, it's like you lie to the whole body of Christ. That's like Paul's point. Like, when you lie to a believer, it's like you're, you're lying to the whole body. So just tell the truth to one another. So listen, if, if we want to be people of integrity, say what you mean. Tell your truth with your money. Refuse to gossip. Do your best at work. And be real with others. I think if we just start to work on that, it helps us to become more of what Jesus wants us to be. Here's why this is so important. We're going to wrap it up with this. If you all remember the great ship, the Titanic, the first unsinkable ship, one of the reasons they thought the Titanic was unsinkable was because they built it in a way that most ships had never been built before. Most ships had a bulk, or, or excuse me, they had a hull that was just one big room. But with the Titanic, what they did is they put bulkheads throughout the hull. And so what they thought is, hey, if we ever took on water, we could isolate or, or we could compartmentalize the flood and we would be okay. So that even if we ever got a little hole in the boat, uh, everything's in its own little segment so the water could never affect the whole boat. It was a revolutionary idea. Uh, here's, here's the problem because hindsight's always twenty twenty. We know it didn't work. 
Like you, you can watch the movie and you go, man, that thing went down and it went down hard. And see, it's not the water outside the boat that sinks it. It's the water that gets in. And I think part of what Jesus is saying is that, hey, when, when we're not honest, when, when we lack integrity in certain areas of our life, it's like the hole in the Titanic. Like we think like, oh, no, no, it's just part of my work life or it's just part of that life or it's just part of that life. But the reality is once water starts to come in, it really begins to sink the ship. So when Jesus says he wants integrity for our lives, I really, what he, I really believe he's trying to protect us. I really believe he's trying to lead us to blessing. I really believe he's calling us to be what he's already made us to be. Your integrity matters and my integrity matters. Uh, this week, uh, we, we mourn the loss of, of Billy Graham, who probably hands down one of the greatest eva- evangelists in, in our time. And he's now home to be with, with Jesus, and, and I just, I, I can't even imagine what that homecoming was like. But I saw an article this week from O.S. Hawkins, who is a pastor, an author, and the chief executive, uh, uh, the chief executive uh, of Stone Financial, of Guidestone Financial Resources, uh, which is part of the Southern Baptist Convention. Now, you've probably never heard the name O.S. Hawkins before, but he was Billy Graham's pastor. And he wrote this about Billy Graham. He wrote an article, it's called The Impeccable Integrity of Billy Graham. He said, it was a great joy to be called his pastor during my years at First Baptist Church in Dallas, where at the time, he kept his church membership. I always found him the same, whether eating with him in his favorite restaurant, with his baseball cap pulled down over his ears, or seeing him stand before scores of thousands and in many great stadiums of the world. What separates someone like Bill from others? Many would say it is his intellect, for knowledge is power in our world today. Certainly, Mr. Graham was bright, if not brilliant, In his younger days, few, if any, would want to debate him. Others might say it is his intensity, the passionate ability to sway crowds and build vision among our followers. He had no equal there. But in watching his life, we are led to say that his greatest attribute was his personal integrity. There are those who have possessed amazing intellect, but sadly were found to have little or no integrity, and they are no longer running the race. There are those with a passion and with an intensity displaying incredible persuasive abilities, but who were found along the way to have no integrity and have joined the list of those who have been forgotten. Billy Graham lived a life of impeccable integrity. His life matched his lips. His walk matched his talk. And after a century of life, the same could be said of him, what the psalmist said of King David. He led his people with the integrity of his heart and the skillfulness of his hands. Heaven is sweeter today because of his presence. And if, everyone, if anyone ever heard the words of our Lord saying, well done, good and faithful servant, they were heard on Wednesday morning when Billy Graham entered his eternal home. He didn't leave home, he went home. And being dead, he still speaks, saying, Whoever will may come, Jesus saves.
may we do the same.